You know, when I first came down here to start preaching with you guys um, last March, it was when daylight savings began. So we got up like really early and drove down and there was snow. Today we got up real early, but we got an extra hour of sleep, which was wonderful, and there was fog, at least between here and there, not so much down here, but uh, up, up toward the north and so forth. It's good to be back with you again. I'm Chuck Legvold, in case we haven't had the opportunity to meet. I'm a retired pastor here in the Presbytery of the Harvest. And isn't this harvest decoration beautiful? It reminds us of God's bounty and our need to be grateful for all that he has given us. And today we're going to talk about one of those great gifts that Jesus left behind Uh, that he gave to us while he was still on the earth, and that is the uh, institution of what we call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion or the Eucharist. It goes by a variety of names. I'd ask you at this point to uh, take your Bible, if you would, please, and find our, our lesson for today. And then I'm going to pray over our, before we read and uh, begin, I begin to share God's word with you. Luke 22:14 through 30. Okay, we'll read it in a moment. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, drawing us together on this wonderful day. Uh, the beauty of your creation, creation is around us as season changes into season. I, for one, Lord, am happy with the cold weather really happy with it. And, but others don't feel that way. It takes all kinds of people, Lord, to make your church. It takes all kinds of people to make good throughout this land. And we pray that we will be those kinds of people. Help us to absorb what we hear from God's word today. Help us to remember it and then to practice it so that you will receive all the glory, even as we, re- we receive so much good from your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 22, verses 14 to 30. This is Luke's um, sharing. Luke was not there, of course, at the Lord's Supper, but this is Luke's sharing what he has learned from Peter and probably Mark and some other people about what happened there. And that is, this is not everything that took place there, but the core of it and our focus for this morning. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired, eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, "This, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. 
The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And then the disciples began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And then out of this discussion, out of this questioning, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This ends our reading but not our understanding of God's word for this morning. May his Holy Spirit speak to us clearly that we might know his will and his way in these and all things. Amen. I grew up in a very traditional household. There were six of us that were born to Sam and Charlotte Legvold. Six of us in the course of, uh, I've got to remember this now, six of us in the course of 13 years and one month. We were not Catholic. (laughs) My parents just loved each other a lot. And they loved children. But after the sixth one was born, the doctor who had delivered actually all six of us took one look at my mom and said, Charlotte, that's enough. And went out to the waiting room where my dad was sitting and said, Sam, you're the proud father of the second daughter of your family and your wife has had enough. Thus endeth that particular generation of, uh, of the Legvolts. But as we grew up, one of the things that we, uh, we loved to do, and uh, my parents were very, very extreme, I'll use that word, extreme about, is that they insisted that we have at least one family meal together every day. At least. Now, Monday through Friday, that was usually Supper. Okay, that was the evening meal. Saturdays and Sundays could be pretty much anything. Saturdays could really be anything because we never quite knew what was going on on a Saturday. But Sundays it was usually the wonderful roast beef and carrots and potatoes and onions in the roaster pan that my mother left in the oven while we went to Sunday school and church and came home and they were perfectly done and we had a big family meal gathered around our table. And they insisted on that because it was not only a good idea but because they understood it was healthy for their family to do that. Not just healthy food but healthy in terms of the relationships and the understandings that grew among us. You see, at the the daily meal that we enjoyed together, most often 
at supper time, 6 or 6.30, depending upon when my dad got home from work, was filled with not just the sharing of what had gone on that day at school or at work, but the sharing of values. Disagreements were brought up and things were dealt with. People, uh, members of my family, uh, looking for advice, received advice. We cried and we laughed and we sometimes argued, not too much because my mother wanted dinner to be just, supper just to be this right, just right. But we would often find ourselves in not just the process of feeding our bodies, but feeding our souls and strengthening the family ties. And I can look back in my mind on this day and I can tell you where the values that my parents espoused and that we embraced as their children and that we have now passed on to our own children, where those things came and were shared, where they were taught, where they were modeled. It is good and it is healthy for a family to have a meal together. And the same is true for the life of the family of God. Now, when I grew up, communion only happened four times a year in the church I grew up in. Four times. Two of those times were set by the calendar. First Sunday in October was World Communion Sunday. And then whatever Monday, Thursday took place. And then the pastor of the session would figure out where the other two went. One in the summertime and one in the winter time. But that's when they took place. But I'm not here to discuss with you how often the meals should take place. Once a month is great. Doing it by the liturgical calendar is wonderful. I've got a dear friend, Bob Kopp, who's the pastor up at uh, Belvedere, First Presbyterian Belvedere. They do it every Sunday in both of their services. Pray for Bob Coppin for the Belvedere Church, would you please? Because they're coming into eco. But that's a surprise to Blackhawk Presbytery. At least we hope it is. So it doesn't matter how often you come, but it is important that you come on a regular basis and that you understand that something more happens here than just the consumption of a little bit of juice and a small piece of bread. And that something more happens here than just a thing to check off. We got that done. It's one more thing on the calendar, one more thing in our lives, one more thing on the, on the, the list of things that need to be accomplished by the, the worship team and so forth. What happens here, when, especially when we read what Jesus has to say about it and then when we listen again, when Paul talks about it too, something happens here that is vital to the health of every church family and we do not get healthy we do not stay healthy unless we hear what jesus has to say and come to this lord's table as something more than just a ritual but as a celebration of our common life together in christ and that's what i want to talk with you about this morning 
When we look at the Lord's Supper, it's very important that we remember who the host of the meal is. It's not me. It's not the pastor. The pastor is not the host of the meal. We're just here to invite you. We're the servant that has been sent out to say, come and eat. Come and share. We're the servants who are there to prepare the elements and so forth for the church to share. But the host, Jesus, God in human flesh, the, the crucified and risen Savior, he is the host. And I want you to see what Jesus has to say about this, about the context of communion and in the upper room. Because it's something we always need to remember when we come. Not just to make sure we serve things right and say all the right words. Those are the least important things. The most important things is what happens when we come. The first thing we see about the host of this meal is we recognize his desires. Jesus was not afraid to express his desires, his expectations, his goals. Especially with his disciple, he was never afraid to share those things. He was always open with them. And here, as he approaches the last night before his crucifixion, the last meal before his crucifixion, do you hear what he says? I have eagerly desired in the midst of or on the eve of my suffering to share this meal with you. Jesus loved his disciples. He deeply loved them. He wanted this time with them. He had spent these three years or so with them. And now, as he faces the climax of his mission to the world to become the sacrifice for our sins, Jesus desires the company and the understanding of his disciples. And he wants to relate to them what is most important. But of course, we have to remember who they were. Who were those disciples? Let's take a look at who's around the table. Do you think Jesus didn't know who they were? Do you think Jesus didn't know what they were up to? Do you think that Jesus was not disappointed in their responses? We certainly would have been, and I have no doubt that Jesus, while not being particularly surprised, must have been very disappointed. Here at this table are gathered the men who spent time with him for the last three years, that he had, he had shown the greatest amount of his, his person, his glory, and his miracles to. Here around this table was the man who had already plotted to betray him that very night. And yet Jesus says, I have eagerly desired for you to be here. Who are the rest of them? We put a heavy load on Judas, don't we? And we should. Jesus did. He said, woe is the man who will betray me. But around that table were also people who would deny him. His best of friends like Peter who would say, when confronted in the courtyard, oh, no, 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 I don't even know the guy. Don't you dare accuse me of even knowing who he is. I'm just here to get warm. 
Unless we be too hard on Peter, let's not forget that all of them abandoned him. All of them. All of them. And that, what this should say to us, friends, is to, that when we come to the Lord's table, we must remember that, that Jesus is eager to meet us here at this table, regardless of where we are. If we are his disciples, if we are his followers, no matter how we have stumbled or succeeded, he wants us to come. And he wants us to sit down and he wants us to take time to converse with him. To listen to his words and to know his love. Never forget the host. In fact, when you come to the Lord's Supper today, when you receive those elements, remember Jesus. Isn't that what he said we are supposed to do? Do this in remembrance of me. Knowing who I am. Not just what I've done, but who I am. And the second thing we notice about the, Lord, the host at the Lord's table at this meal is his service. I find it absolutely ludicrous with the logic of my mind, and I tend to be a very logical person, that Jesus would first of all identify, Jesus would identify that there was someone around that to- table in that close circle of, of friends and disciples that w- had already betrayed him. And the first item of discussion they come up with is, yeah, well, well, who would that be? Who would the worst among us be? And I suppose that maybe some of the disciples suspected Judas. He didn't have a real good reputation in their midst. But it wasn't very long before their conversation turned from who is the worst of us to who is the greatest of us. It turned away from the shame of having one of Jesus' inner circle betray him to the shame of saying, I'm better than you. If Jesus ever ever had one of those, I've had enough of this moments, it's there. It's here. And so he turns to them and says, you know what? The Gentiles act like you're acting right now. Knuckleheads. That was one of my dad's favorite words. When he couldn't think of anything else to call us, he called us knuckleheads. I've had enough of this. The Gentiles act just like you're doing. They, they think they're benefactors if they're in charge of things. They, they consider themselves to be more important than those who are subject to them. They argue about these things. They fight over these things. They war about these things. They kill each other over these things. But that is not who you are if you're my disciple. And he begins this wonderful, very logical teaching. He said, we all know who's the right person, who's the most important person when it comes to sitting at table and serving. Isn't it the person who's sitting down? Isn't the servant the lowly one who comes and takes care of the needs of the ones that are sitting at the table? And then he brings them up short and he says, but I am here as one who serves. And what do you suppose he's telling them? So are you. So are you. So are you. 
When we come to the Lord's table, we come as those who are servants of God and servants to God and servants to one another. That's why we always need to come with an appropriate attitude that while none of us have earned this, no matter how good we are or how many degrees we have, we always need to come to the Lord's table because we are here to serve God and to serve one another. He's trying to get them to understand how important it is that they recognize who the other people are, who the other ones in their fellowship, in their circle, in around this table are. His desires are on display, his service is on display, and then finally his promises are on display. As Jesus sums up this part of his conversation in Luke's gospel, he simply tells us this. He tells his disciples, and it's the same for you and me. I'm conferring on you a kingdom. You're supposed to live differently. Just as my Father has conferred one on me, just as my Father has given this kingdom to me and given you to me, and the reason we're doing this is so that you can sit down at table with me, with the Son of God, with the Savior of the world, with God in human flesh, so you can sit down at table with me, not just once on November 5th, 2023, but after all has been ended, to sit down at the great marriage feast of the Lamb, where we will enjoy His company and each other's forever. These are promises he made to them and these are promises he has made to us. There is a purpose, there is a reason for this that we do on a regular basis. It is a reminder that there is a meal far more sumptuous and far more eternal than this. And Jesus invites all those who are his to partake of it. So as we sit down with God today, I want you to just remember these things. As we think about sitting down with God today, maybe it's a really good idea to return his love. As you're coming forward or as you're taking the elements or you're going back and being seated, return his love to him. He came out of love for you, now return his love to him. Tell him how much you love him and how much, how grateful you are for his sacrifice. And when you sit down with God today and every day and every opportunity that you have, remember to make a commitment not just to him, but to each other. My favorite word for what we do is communion. It's one of many terms that can be used to describe it, but I love the word communion because it tells us that we share a common union with one another in Jesus Christ. That is our identity. We are not alone in walking with Jesus. We are together walking with Jesus, dining with Jesus, Serving with Jesus, loving with Jesus, and living forever with Jesus. Those people that you share this faith with, this discipleship with, who, who get under your skin especially, uh, 
It's not a matter of not letting them get under your skin. It's getting past that. Finding mercy and offering mercy. Finding forgiveness and offering forgiveness. Strengthening the body with the person who shares this meal together. One of, the, one of the things that my parents did not ever let us do at the dinner table was fight. Ever. We could discuss. We could mildly argue. We could joke. We could laugh as long as it didn't go beyond what my mother thought was proper. There were sometimes, you know, we would get to laughing and my mom would turn to my dad and say, Sam, make them stop laughing. And he was sitting at the end of the table like this. <laughs> laughing himself. We do not fight and then come to the Lord's table. We don't, do not come fighting to the Lord's table. We come as one to the Lord's table. Loving, not just in spite of our differences, but because we are different. God has made us who we are and has redeemed us who we are. And finally... We come preparing for a lasting feast. This is not the end. This is the beginning. This is just the foreshadowing of what is to come. This is just the little taste of what we will enjoy in fellowship with Jesus and with one another throughout the coming years until he returns. Maranatha! Or until he just comes for each and every one of us individually. There's a bigger, brighter, better feast than this. And yet this is world-changing, soul-changing, life-changing. In 1972, I believe, a young single man sat down at his desk in the office of a college, ca- of a co- college uh, chapel. He was the college chaplain. His name was Robert Stamps. We called him Brother Bob. He was the chaplain of Oral Roberts University when I was there. But he was so embraced and encumbered with the desire to share what goes on at the Lord's table that he was inspired by God to sit down and write a song. It is a song that I've sung many times that echoes through my soul. And I simply want to share it with you. I'm not in a really good voice to sing right now, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share it with you, and I want you to, to listen to it because it gets to what and who we are and all who are welcome at this table. God and man at table are sat down. Oh, welcome, all ye noble saints of old, as now before your very eyes unfold the wonders all so long ago foretold. God and man at table are sat down. Elders, martyrs, all are falling down. Prophets, patriarchs are gathering round. What angels long to see now man has found. God and man at table are set down. Who is this who spreads the victory feast? Who is this who makes our warring cease? 
Jesus, risen Savior, Prince of Peace, God and man at table are sat down. Beggars, lame, and harlots also here. Repentant publicans are drawing near. Wayward sons come home without a fear. God and man at table are sat down. Worship in the presence of the Lord with joyful songs and hearts in one accord. And let our host at table be adored. God and man at table are sat down. And when at last this earth shall pass away, when Jesus and his bride are one to stay, the feast of love is just begun that day. God and man at table are set down. God and man at table are set down. Let us rejoice. As we come to the Lord's table, will you join me as we prepare our hearts in prayer? Lord, we recognize you here in the brokenness of your body and in the shedding of your blood, but we also recognize you here in the faces and the eyes and the personalities of those with whom we share a common faith in you. I pray, O Lord, I pray that as we come today, that all barriers will be broken down, that all interpersonal disagreements will be set aside and forgiven. I pray, O Lord, that you will have full reign over us this day. And that as we come to this table, we will see you crucified, yes, but also risen and glorified. Prepare our hearts, O Lord, to receive these good gifts, though they might not be full of many calories and much nourishment physically. They are full of the nourishment of heaven. And we look forward to receiving them with gratitude. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.